Hello and welcome to the Success Secret Podcast with Rosso Santalev. I am excited to introduce you to a series of conversations with some of the most successful and inspiring individuals from various industries. My aim is to dive into the stories behind their success and explore the knowledge, strategies, habits, mindsets, and wisdom that have propelled their success. Each episode of the Success Secret Podcast will feature a different guest who will share their unique journey, the challenges they faced, and the lessons they have learned along the way. I will also be covering topics from entrepreneurship and innovation to leadership and personal development. Whether you are an inspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business professional, or just someone looking to improve your life, the Success Secret Podcast is for you. My goal is to bring you valuable insights and inspiration that will help you achieve your own success in business and life. So get ready to learn and be inspired. The Success Secret Podcast starts now. In this episode, we are going to be talking about how to grow your sales in your business in a slowing economy. So in this episode, I have with me Craig Andrews. He's a principal ally and founder of marketing agency Allies for Me, using a proven method that mimics the stages of courtship. Allies for Me helps companies find strangers and convert them into high-paying customers. At Age Stays, customers' value journey is the framework that leads someone from first contact to post-purchase. So, Craig, welcome to the Success Secret Podcast. Uh, thank you, Hussein. I've been looking forward to this. So excited to be on the Success Grid today. Awesome to have you here. I am excited too because you have like a lot of knowledge, wealth to give out. So <laughs> interested to have you here. So first of all, I want you because this is a Success Secret podcast. I want you to tell the Success Secret Nation what is your definition of success and what do you see people mistakenly assume success is. Wow, that's that's a wonderful question. Who's saying it's also a loaded question. Uh, you know, because a couple of years ago, actually August 10th of 2021, I walked in the hospital and uh, 12 days later, they called my wife uh, for permission to put me on the ventilator and told her at that time I wasn't going to live. Uh, they said he would certainly die. Uh, and they continued to tell her that for a month. And despite all expectations that I was going to die, uh, I lived. And, you know, and so when you ask me what success is, you know, it's hard for me to say anything other than to have an amazing wife who loves and cares for you and uh, and to have a strong faith in God that I believe carried both of us uh, through that just incredible time. Mm, that's amazing. Like it's it's nice and good to be grateful for what you have and always have some people loving family around you. It's very simple, but yet a lot of us ignore, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's another part of that story too. You know, so I was in a coma for about six weeks. And when I woke up, uh, well, my brain was scrambled for about a week or two after I first woke up. But once my thinking started to clear up, my wife started filling me in on what had been happening while I was out. And she told me, she said, your team has been running the business without you. Not only that, but freelancers have reached out to your team and said, as long as Craig is in the hospital, we will do whatever it takes. And so thinking about success more from a work standpoint, without a doubt, that is my biggest accomplishment in my career. 
was building a business that could run without me. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm first of all, I'm glad you are uh, well now, and uh, everything went well in your business too. Awesome, that's good. So now, now in general, when we speaking of that, like, like you had good people in your business that helped you keep keep things like going, right? So now, in any business in general, okay, especially online businesses. How, for example, do you get people to buy? Because usually what happens is, and you see this a lot, and I'm sure you get this, a lot of messages via social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever, pushing people to buy. The first thing is, hi, my name is whatever, and this is what I have. Would you like to buy? This is basically the <laughs> the sell. So when I see these messages, right, I immediately like delete and sometimes like spam. So what is now in this day and age, what is the best way to uh, have customers and engage with them and start selling authentically? And maybe with, I assume maybe stories, because like you mentioned there, you had a story, but at the same time, business also had a story. So I get those emails, of course, too. And it's, I think my favorite ones are the people who link in with me on, you know, joint, go to LinkedIn and they link in. And the very first message they send me is trying to sell me something. And, you know, it's funny. We, we consider that, you know, we specialize in high ticket sales. That's what we, where we do most of that. But these principles apply whether you're high ticket or low ticket. And the, but especially high ticket, we think about stages of courtship. You know, and we would say that that's kind of the equivalent of walking into a bar. You see somebody cute on the other side of the bar and you say, hey, you're kind of cute. Can I get your phone number? Better yet, let's just get married. You know, <laughs> and that's asking for way too much, way too soon. And so you have to build trust. Um, and you, ha you have to, before you start asking for things, you have to build trust. And so uh, if a lot of that depends upon the you know the price point of what you're selling, but in any case, any price point, what I found to be the best formula is to deliver value in advance, become valuable to that person before you ask them for something. You know, I talked about my wife, and anybody, at least in the United States, if if you've been to any type of marriage counseling at some point, they'll talk about the love bank, about how you have to make deposits into the love bank before you take withdrawals. If you try to take a withdrawal from the love bank and you haven't been making deposits, you're going to be overdrawn and you're going to be in trouble. Well, if we think about customers, we have a trust bank and a value bank. And so if you have an email list or whatever, you can extract value from that list only if you've been depositing value. And so regardless of what you're doing, you have to make value deposits into people's lives. Mm. Now for us, for high ticket sales, we, um, we do something, uh, we, we call it an irresistible first time offer. And if we put it in dating lingo, it's kind of like a coffee date. It's a mini project that's you know, not only cheap, it's stupidly cheap. And if you think about a coffee date, you tried, you know, the coffee date takes out the commitment risk. So we take the commitment risk out of our initial engagement. Coffee date takes out, you know, a lot of emotional risk, takes out a lot of financial risk. And so what we look for is we look for ways of taking that risk out. And uh, we just wrapped up 
one of those mini projects with somebody this morning. And it was really interesting. We get to the end, you know, we'd done three online workshops as a part of the mini project. And the, the, the client at the end said, started telling me all the things that they got, their aha moments mm. uh, that, oh my goodness. And one of them was, we realize we don't understand our customers nearly deep enough to be able to really effectively sell to them. And think about this. Imagine getting a cold email with Hussein. What if I emailed you and said, Hussein, you don't know your customers well enough. I promise we should talk. Well, you're going to hit, you're going to hit delete and spam and you're going to block me and you're going to make sure no email, no email comes through me ever again. Mm. Well, let's contrast that with what I did, you know, wrapped up with this morning by working on this, working with this client through this, it's really like a coffee date. It was just three online meetings. They came to a powerful conclusion on their own. I didn't have to tell them that. I didn't say that. It was just how we structured things. By us asking questions, they came to that conclusion. And when they came to that conclusion, they realized we're somebody that's going to help them understand their customers more deeply. Mm-hmm. And because it's their idea, they believe it more. And because I didn't come in and put my finger in their face and say, you don't know your customers, they uh, they don't look at me as a unkind person. You know, and they're they're much more willing to take adv- advice. And and what we're talking about is trust. Yeah, you know, just builds that rapid trust. Yeah, it's it's about pulling people in instead of pushing things out to them, right? Because there's yes. a, a huge difference. Like you mentioned, providing value. So, for example, we see social media and a lot of content now. So, in your opinion, what is the best value position proposition? to certain people, like we know there is, could be lots of niches, different things, but what is the most important thing a business owner can give their audience? Help them solve problems that are in their life. It's, I mean, it's really that simple. You know, I don't care what your business is, in some way helps them solve a problem. So right now, the you know I, I don't know how things are in Jordan, but in the United States, people are a little bit worried about the economy, mm. and um, and so there's you know we've seen uh, spending slow down, businesses are struggling, and people say people quit spending money, you know companies quit spending money, individuals quit spending money. Well, I know that's not true, and here's how I know it's not true. If we go back to the Great Depression in the United States, which happened in the early, you know, in the 1930s, we see companies that were founded, multi-billion-dollar companies that still exist today, that were founded during the Great Depression. Um, you know, Hewlett Packard was one that was founded, but the one that's more interesting is Disney. Walt Disney Corporation was founded in 1931, I believe. Whoa. and if you think about it. At a time where people didn't have food, they didn't have work, they didn't have money, an entertainment company was founded. And an entertainment company that's been around for over 90 years. And if you think about the needs, this type this speaks to the fact people still spend money during tough economic times. And times were so hard that the 
need, the problem that Disney saw, back to that whole thing, solving problems, life was so hard, people had a need to be entertained. Yeah. And so they they would trade uh, you know, some of their scarce dollars so Walt Disney would entertain them and help them forget about the, you know, the harsh realities of the economy. So I really think it's about if you want to add value, help people solve problems. Now, obviously, you don't want to, you know, if you're in a business that gets paid for solving people's problems, you don't want to solve all their problems um, for free. Or in our case, with our first time offers, you know, we don't try to solve all of our problems because we don't make money on our first time offers. We lose money on our first time offers. Mm. Uh, but we want to help them solve a couple of problems that helps build that trust. Yeah, awesome. So speaking of the uh, initial offer, uh, this one that you are talking about here, the first time offer, what is, is there certain like uh, elements or things that are involved in this? Because you're speaking here also about this is the entry offer. You basically, any business that have this offer, barely makes any money of it right because it's an enticing to give people value and at the same time what they call is a lead as a lead which is a lead magnet to get people to put their email basically uh, there right when we're talking about online businesses and in general any business now want to get communication with their customers so one of the things is either email or maybe a phone number so are there certain elements in this uh, first time offer that are crucial to its success? Yes, yes. So um, let me start, but let me give you two examples of, of offers. These aren't offers we created, uh, but they're offers that I think people can understand. And then I'll go into, let me give these as examples, then I'll go into the elements. So uh, years ago, when albums were popular the first time, uh, there's a uh, Columbia House Records said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna give you an offer. We're gonna offer you 13 albums for one penny." And so the idea is, if you're the type of person that wants to build a record collection, uh, you can get started. They'll get you 13 albums down the road for just one penny, and they made a lot of money off that. And so that would be an example of what we would call a simple offer. Mm -hmm. uh, then. There was a, a guy named Bob Stupak who bought a dumpy old hotel at the end of the Las Vegas Strip. And it was you know, just a very low quality hotel, nothing special, but he renamed it to Bob Stupak's Vegas World. Mm -hmm. And his offer was, give me $396 and I will give you three days and two nights in one of my deluxe suites. When you arrive, there will be a bottle of champagne waiting for you in your room. Good. All of your drinks while you're on property are free, whether you're gambling or not. Even if you're sitting in one of our entertainment lounges, you pay nothing more for your drinks. Not only that, but for your $396, I will give you $600 of chips to use in the casino. <laughs> so that's what we call a complex offer. It has four elements. And there's something really neat about that offer. If you're a type of person that likes to drink and gamble, it's a hard offer to say no to. Um, if he offered it to me, I, I would say no because I don't gamble. Uh, and I mean, I drink a little bit of wine, but not much. I don't get, you know, don't sit around and get drunk. I'm not going to drink hundreds of dollars of alcohol in Vegas, never have. And so that offer repels me, but this is good. 
because Bob Stupak only had so many rooms in his hotel and he made the most money when those rooms were filled with gamblers who like to drink. Mm. So he doesn't want me staying in his hotel. He wants to use, he wants to use that room for somebody who likes to gamble and drink because he's going to make more money off them than he makes off me. And so that's one thing I, I find fascinating about that offer. But the other thing is I said it has, you know, that had four elements. It was a discount on the regular room rate. Uh, you got a bottle of champagne waiting for you when you arrived. You got three free drinks while you were on property and you got $600 of chips to use in the casino. So that's four elements. Mm. And so what we found is for simple products, simple services, an offer like the Columbia House Records works fine. 13 albums for a penny. Uh, but as you go up the value scale, up the price scale and up the complexity scale, the complexity of your first time offer has to match the complexity of your product or service. Mm. And so here's the elements that go into that. Uh, it has to be a impulse purchase. Mm. That means the coins in the cushion, your couch, the money in your wallet, or the B2B equivalent of that. So one way of thinking about it, if you're doing B2B sales and you present your offer, if who you're presenting it to has to ask permission to spend that money, you've priced it too high. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Same with B2C, because, uh, and, and I can only speak for American culture, uh, but, you know, if if my wife went off and spent, um, you know, $500 or $1,000 on something without talking to me, we, you know, I, I mean, I trust my wife. Obviously, she saved my life. So I trust her deeply. But those that's the type of things that creates disagreement between husbands and wives. Hmm. And, uh, and, and likewise, I wouldn't go off. I mean, if I was talking about spending $500 or $1,000, I would have to go talk to her first. But if I was spending less, if I was spending like $50 or $100, I would just spend it. You know, I, I, I know she wouldn't care, you know, even if it was a bad decision, you know, sometimes you make bad decisions. Hmm. And so that's what I mean by an impulse purchase. If whoever you're, presenting it to has to ask anybody for permission to spend that money, you've priced it too high. Mm. So that's the first element. The second element is it has to deliver a disproportionate amount of value to price. So for B2B, which we do a lot of B2B, it usually means less than $500 because you know people in businesses can spend less than $500. Nobody will ever hold them accountable for that. Well, disproportionate means we're trying to deliver 10x the value. So if we're charging $500, we're trying to deliver $5,000 worth of value. And that's part of what makes it irresistible. The next thing is it has to solve a problem because if it doesn't solve a problem, it doesn't deliver value. And you remember a couple of minutes ago, I said, the key to building trust, solve people's problems. That's why you're in business. That's why Disney, that's what Disney did when people had almost no money, not even enough money to put food on their table. They parted with some of that money because the problems Disney solved was Disney provided entertainment and escape from the troubles of the world. Yeah. So you have to solve a problem. And by the way, a audit or an assessment doesn't solve a problem. It just highlights the problems that are there. So that's the... Uh, next thing, the after that, you don't want to solve all their problems because if all if you solve all their problems for this ridiculously cheap price, yeah, 
they have no reason to purchase your core offer. You'll lose money. You'll go out of business. So you don't want to solve all your all their problems and you want to naturally lead to the next step. So those are kind of the core elements. There's a couple other things that are structural. You know, like I said, the complex offers, we believe they should have a minimum of three and a maximum of five deliverables. Uh, and there's a couple of things, you know, and by the way, there's three to five deliverables should represent three to five milestones that move them three to five steps closer to their ultimate goal yeah. from where they are three to five steps closer. And there's some other things in that, but that's kind of the high level of, of what goes yeah, into awesome. it. So it appears to me that you are, of course, now you are a fan of sales funnels, like going people going through certain steps, right? Putting them in these steps because the days of having a, a generic website that has blog and these kind of things yes you can have certain uh call to actions there but the main thing is like you want customers to take certain journey into things like from the from the funnel right from certain um, certain place to their end goal which is the problem that you have solved and like you mentioned it is important to not solve all the problems at the same time for this cheap price because they will say I bought this product for this cheap price and they might 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 or might not be again customer a repeat customer for your other products but you want to make sure that a certain price serves certain problem but it's also important that you have like you mentioned that price that you don't want to think about like when you mentioned it's when it's 20 or 40 or 50 bucks you don't really think that much about it, but when it's like a $500 product, you put some thought into it, you might negotiate with your spouse or your team, which leads to uh, steps that the business owner now wants to communicate with you with via yeah. email, for example, right? Exactly, yeah. So Make it easy for them. Make it easy for them to say yes. Uh, not only make it easy for them to say yes, make it hard for them to say no. Yeah, to, to put it certain place offer that if they see something that might be similar to this, that they would say yes to yours, not to the competition, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and I work in a business where um, most of my competitors do proposals. You know, you do competitive proposals. So we we help people with marketing. And so the standard thing is, you know, you get a phone call. They say, hey, we're looking for a marketing agency. Can you put together a proposal? Uh, our answer to that now is no. We haven't written a proposal in years. Um, but what happens is they bring together, because proposals take like, you know, 30 hours to put together. And, you know, you write the proposal and then you have somebody, this is kind of funny, you have somebody who is, fundamentally unqualified to evaluate the proposals. We know they're unqualified because they're calling you the expert to write it. And so you submit and you hope they make the right choice or they you hope they choose you. And so since we started doing this, we've when people ask us for proposals, we say no, we always start with a mini project here it is. And some say okay, let's do it. Some say uh, no, thank you. Well, there was one time I was phone call number two. They were calling three agencies. I was call, phone call number two. We go through this. I present the proposal. They say, well, you know, we're, we're still, we're going through and we're calling. They told us we're calling a few agencies. 
Well, several hours later, I got a text message from them saying, we just, uh, we just canceled the, the next call. We're going with you. And so by offering that, you know, we disrupted that whole standard sales process of going through the competitive bidding and all the proposals. And they just went with us and moved forward. Then they canceled their appointment with the third agency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's really about uh, taking control of the whole sales process. And, and here's the really cool thing. Yeah. When you do that and you go in and you add value, you're now the insider. You're the trusted insider. Everybody else looks scary. It's scary to go with someone else. You're, a, you're now a known quantity. And the cost of that was doing, um, doing a small amount of work, you know, ridiculously underpriced, but it got you in the door so you could win the higher ticket business. Yeah, awesome. So I want to ask about this because you are into high ticket, right, sales. So because I read and saw a lot of like maybe videos or so talking about the idea of your product being priced at if you want to price the high price, price it at a high price. Don't have this like you're we're talking here about the first time offers the initiated offer because if someone who's really interested in the solution that they want, right? So they will go for that high-end product, but giving them this uh, initial offer or solution at a smaller price might not convert them into high-paying clients. So do you think there is a connection or do you think it's a, it's a myth about this? Well, let me just tell you what the numbers show. Um, roughly half the people we present our first-time offer to say yes. And roughly 80% of those that purchase our first time offer become a high ticket client. Mm. Uh, and, and, and the cases where they don't, sometimes um, sometimes at the end of our little mini project, we, we realize this, this goes back to the coffee date concept. You know, sometimes you go on a coffee date and you hope for bigger and better things, but you go there and you realize, hey, you know what? You're a fa- fantastic person, but I don't think we're fantastic together. And so there's sometimes we we don't offer to move beyond uh, the mini project. There are other times the um, the client for a variety of reasons doesn't move, but those are really the minority of cases. It's when you bring value, real value and the real solution to people, they might not even know that they have this problem, right? And you give it to them when they find out about you, for example, they want to learn more of what you have. Well, and that was the case in the the meeting that I wrapped up this morning. They they realized that they had a problem in their sales process. They never realized it until they went through a couple of workshops with me. Um, and once they realized it, I showed them some things that nobody else has ever shown them. And and in the so what that does is that makes me the sole source supplier of their problem. Yeah. Awesome. So how like how do we know if there is some kind of certain element in our sales that is broken and we need to fix this certain element? Is there a way to know? Well, I'll tell you the you know the test that we use the most uh, and probably the most powerful test 
is if you wouldn't send your best friend through your sales funnel, you have a broken funnel. <laughs> yeah, you're, it, yeah. I mean, it's, if, if, you wouldn't, if, if you wouldn't put your best friend through your sales process, you've got something wrong. And I'll give you an example where I put that to the test. So there's a, a couple I know, I met them in Japan uh, back in the uh, 1980s, late 80s when I was living there. Mike and Brenda Smith, they've been incredible mentors in, in my life for decades. Uh, they've influenced my life more than anyone other than my own parents. And three days before I went on the ventilator, Mike Smith sent me an email saying his daughter, Kristen, had just died on the ventilator from COVID. I had COVID. That's why I was in the hospital. Mm. And so, um, and then three days later, I go on the ventilator and my wife knew about this. That, that certainly didn't encourage her. Well, when I got out of the hospital, uh, Mike uh, Smith's son, Michael, Michael Jr., reached out to me and said, hey, I need help with marketing. And I said, well, Michael, I'm taking the rest of the year off because, I mean, the hospital, it was really hard. I had to learn how to walk again. Uh, when I woke up, I could, I could move, I could wiggle a finger or a toe, but that was it. I couldn't lift an arm, couldn't lift a leg and had to learn how to walk again. And I told Michael, I said, look, I'm, I'm just trying to recover. I'm taking the rest of the year off. Please reach out to me later. Secretly, I was hoping he would go away because I didn't want to muddle that relationship. It's a very, very important relationship. He came back a second time and I sent him away again. And finally he came back a third time. And I said, well, okay, well, let's, let's get on Zoom and let's talk through this. And when I talked to him, I realized a couple of things very quickly. One, his revenue wouldn't support our fees. So I knew he would never be a client. But two, I realized he was, he was lost. He needed some help finding direction in marketing. And so I, the, I said, my best advice I could give to him at that point was to buy one of my first-time offers because it would give him a marketing plan that would help at least point him in the right direction so he could start growing his revenue. I didn't want him going to you know, one of many you know, thousands of marketing charlatans who would just take his money and do nothing for him. I wanted him to have a good roadmap. Now, here's what makes that especially powerful. At that time, I was wrestling with survivor's guilt. Uh, I was the first one that left the ICU alive. Everybody that went before me died. And, you know, and so one of the questions I'm wrestling with is why did I get to live when everybody else died? And by the way, you know, his sister died from the disease I survived. And even in that environment, the best advice I could give him was to buy my first time offer. And to this day, I can look his dad in the eye and say, I took care of your son. Yeah, you, you helped him in a way, Doug. <laughs> in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very important way now. And you are not a physician, you are not a doctor. For example, you help people in what your expertise are in. Yes. This is what we do. Yeah. So speaking of this, what are the best tools, resources, or books do you think that would you recommend to people to use? Well, so for putting this together, I had to figure, I had to learn it the hard way. My first first time offer failed. Nobody knew what it was. Nobody understood it. Nobody wanted it. Nobody bought it. My second offer also failed. Uh, the third offer failed less, but still failed. 
It took me 18 months to just start getting this to work. And so, um, so I've actually, and then over the last five years, we've just been continually perfecting it, making it better and better. And so we've put together a guide uh, to help people avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. And uh, we actually have this as a gift for your audience. So if they go to our website, which is alliesforme.com, that's spelled A-L-L-I-E-S, the number four, M-E.com, slash success grid, all lowercase, all one word. If they go there and just fill out the form, they will immediately get the guide. The other thing they'll get is they'll get 23 days access to our self-paced course so they can build their own uh, first-time offer. Now, let me explain why we limit it to 23 days. We study human behavior all night and day. This is one thing what they do. This is what the marketers do. They should do at least, right? This is very important. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and I know because I've done this, I've signed up for free courses that I've never logged into, I've never taken advantage of, they've never changed my life. And we're in the business of changing lives. And so we know by putting a 23-day limit on there that people will come in and they'll use it and it it will make an impact. And we see it in the analytics. So that's why uh, we put that 23-day limit. So if they go to our website, alliesforme.com slash success grid, they'll get that. And I don't know anywhere else that has this laid out so clearly on what to do. Awesome, awesome. Well, Craig, uh, the resources and knowledge that you brought us here. And like you mentioned, marketing is about knowing the psychology of people. It's not just putting some offer there. It's great that you work in the background with analytics and you see how people actually do and work with things like, it's true that a lot of people, and I actually saw someone like had this, uh, like it basically can it was a PDF and the PDF was priced at I think a hundred dollars or fifty dollars. And one of the things that they show usually PDFs are like lead free lead magnets, right? To get the email and name. But what they price it for is because they said it's because people when they get free stuff, like we have lots and tons of like maybe thousands of free PDFs in our PCs, for example, right? So you you download, you put your email, you get the PDF, you download it. Hey, I got a PDF and you put it there and you never basically ever read it, even if it's 10 pages. So this is very important, right? Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you for being today here with me on this episode of the Success Secret Podcast. Uh, pleasure to have you. Hussein, it's been a delight. Thank you for having me today. Um, so excited to talk to you and, and your audience.